Well, perspective is something that is vitally important in our life. What we focus on tends to be what we see. What we focus on in ourselves, what we focus on in the world, tends to be what we see and how we, and, and, uh, how we interpret things. Uh, your focus is incredibly important. Your perspective is very important. Now, I thought of a way, you know, how could I emphasize the importance of our perspective, our focus, shaping how we see and how we interpret life. Well, I want to try something out with you today. This is going to be an interactive uh, sermon, at least at the outset. And so uh, I'm going to need your participation with this. And so I have a picture I want to show you real quick, if you'll uh, direct your attention to the screen. What do you see here in this picture? You can say it out loud. What do you see? I couldn't hear that. What was that? All right, is, uh, let's do it this way. If you see a young woman with her face kind of turned away from you, raise your hand real quick. All right. Raise your hand if you see an, uh, an elderly woman with a side profile. All right. Not as many, but a few of you. So let's kind of uh, take a look at this real quick because we have at least uh, two groups of people seeing two very different things. Now, if you look at this, many of y'all said y'all saw the older, uh, I'm sorry, the younger woman with her face kind of turned away, with her chin kind of turned away from you. If you would look at that chin as though it's a nose and the collar around the young woman's neck as her mouth, do you see the older woman now? Y'all starting to see her? Raise your hand if you now see the older woman. There we go. Now we're starting to see her. What you focus on will determine what you see in that picture. Let me give you another example real quick. Let's take a look at this one. All right. How many of you see a rabbit? How many of you see a duck? How many of you see both? All right. So the ears of the rabbit there is also the bill of the duck. And so depending on how you're focusing on the picture determines whether you see a rabbit, a duck, or maybe a little bit of both. Now that you've seen those, you have a little bit more experience. You know what, uh, what to see. Your perspective has changed as it relates to those Two pictures. In the same way, as we go through life and as we experience more of life and we, we experience more of God and things of that nature, our perspective hopefully begins to expand. We have a greater perspective on things. Now, that does not always mean that as we get older, we necessarily have more wisdom. While that should be the case, and while that often is the case, uh, I think we could all uh, think of individuals who maybe are more advanced in years, but, but don't necessarily have the wisdom or perspective, at least godly wisdom or perspective. You have to not only uh, see things the way they are, but you also have to make sure that you have a correct interpretation of what you're seeing. Now, why am I talking about all this? Why am I talking about perspective and, and all that sort of stuff, especially as we've been talking about Thanksgiving here lately? The reason why I'm talking about perspective and the importance of it and how that relates to our experience of life and how we go through and the more experience we have, oftentimes, hopefully, we have better perspective. The reason why I'm talking about that is because the more we interact with God and the more we walk with him, he changes our heart, he changes our mind, and he changes the way we see the world. The more we see God move in our life as individuals, as well as the more we see him move in the world around us, we gain a greater perspective and a greater appreciation for who God is and how he works. And so as we conclude uh, the series that we've been going through the last few weeks on uh, being thankful in all things, I want us to just take a moment 
And I want to pause at the end of this series, and I just want to look, uh, hopefully afresh and anew, at the face of God, at who he is, at what he's done, and let us just worship him and celebrate him and give him thanks. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture where Israel uh, took time and, and just gave great praise and adoration to God. In fact, if you have your uh, copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Psalms. And we're going to be looking in Psalm 136. And this is a very special psalm. It's a very uh, um, interesting psalm. It is often referred to as the great Hillel, or the great praise psalm. It is uh, where Israel recounts all the wonderful things that God has done throughout uh, Israel's existence, and they just give him praise and adoration. Now, as we go through this psalm, there is a particular phrase that is repeated over and over and over again. Now, if God says something once, that's important. But if he says something 26 times within 26 verses, that's really, really important. And that's what we actually find in Psalm 136. We find that uh, there's this phrase that is translated, at least in the New King King James and New King James, as, for his mercy endures forever. Now, the, one of the words there in the Hebrew is a very interesting word. And it's important that we cover this just before we jump into the passage because this is the crux of uh, Psalm 136. It is repeated over and over and over again because God wants you to hear this particular phrase and, and have it lodged in your heart so when you go through life, you see this. This phrase that is uh, uh, in the Hebrew is found over 240 times throughout the Hebrew Bible. And it's a very difficult word to translate. It's the, the uh, Hebrew word chesed. Uh, and it basically it, it incorporates three important truths about God. That God is generous, that God is loving, and that God is faithful or committed. And these three things about God, his faithfulness, his love, and his generosity are all wrapped up in this Hebrew word. And many uh, Bible translators have, had, have tried to be faithful to this word to try to give the best nuance of what this word actually gets at. In fact, in the, as I said, in the King James and New King James, it's translated mercy. and the New American Standard, it's translated loving kindness. In the NIV, it's translated love. And in the New Living Translation, it's translated as faithful love. But it's important that we try to keep in context all three of those components. God is generous. He is gracious. He loves to heap blessings upon his creation. God is love. This is not just an emotional love, but this is an unconditional, sacrificial love. And God is committed. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful and he is committed to us. And what we're going to see in Psalm 136 is they, uh, the, the psalmist recounts over and over and over again the great deeds of God, but it always goes back to God did these things because of his mercy, his love, his generosity. And so what I want us to do as we work through this, we're going to see at least four uh, big categories of when we think about God and when we give thanks to God, and as we go through life and we, we, we expand our perspective of who God is and how he works, I want us to see at least four ways that God shows his love his generosity, and his commitment to you and to his people. 
So let's go ahead and jump into uh, Psalm 136. We're going to start in verse 1. And this was kind of a responsive reading uh, where the, the priest or the, the choir would, would sing one line and then the congregation would, would say another. And here's how it begins. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures endures forever. Pause there for just a moment before we continue. What they're starting off as is the Lord is good, the Lord is gracious, he's the God of gods, and he's the Lord of lords. Israel was surrounded by nations who worshiped a plurality of gods, God over the sun, the moon, the stars, the crops, the animals, everything. But here Israel draws their focus as they come to worship, as they come to the temple to worship the one true and living God. And they say, there may be gods out there in the world that everyone else worships, but our God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is supreme and sovereign over everything and all of creation. And notice what, he, what they go on to say in verses 4. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. And the sun and the stars to rule by night. His mercy endures forever. Now, as we look at this, the, the Israelite uh, congregation, as they were, would sing this and as they would repeat this back and forth, that phrase, for his mercy endures forever, is the, the reason, is the, is the purpose behind everything they've just listed. Everything in God's creation, when he made the stars, when he made the moon, when he set the foundations of the earth, when he created all that we see around us, they would repeat that line, for his mercy endures forever. God created all of this. He created you and me and the universe that we live in because of his great mercy. Did you ever stop to think that God didn't have to create any of this? He didn't have to go through all of the heartache and heartbreak of creating all of his creation and then see it polluted by sin. But he did. He chose to because of his great love, of his generosity. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they could have lived all of eternity just within their perfect community, their, their triune community, but they wanted to pour out their glory and their love and their generosity and share it with others. And so they created us and to invite us into this community. You know, as we, we look at the world around us, we should constantly be amazed at God's handiwork. Have you ever taken the time and the busyness of life just to go out on an evening and look up at the stars and marvel of all the planets and universes that God has made, the galaxies that stretch as far as we can possibly see with all of our technology? Look at the, the creatures that God had made. Just uh, the other day, uh, my family and I went to the Ashborough Zoo, one of our, our great uh, um, pastimes. We love going there and seeing all the animals and, and uh, seeing the, the gorillas and the red pandas. And just, it's amazing the variety that God has created. And it's all because he enjoys his creation and he wants to share it, 
his love, his mercy, and his grace with his creation. You know, as I was uh, thinking through this idea of God and, and how he just uh, goes above and beyond and what he does, I want you to notice a couple of things. There, there's a, a thing within um, the scientific community that is called anthropic constants. And basically this means that God has so finely tuned his universe for you and for me. That God ha- has created earth and has positioned it in such a way to sustain life because he wanted to make something beautiful for you to enjoy and for me to enjoy. Did you know that the oxygen level here on earth is just perfectly situated to sustain life? That it was, if it was just a little bit higher than what it currently is, there would be spontaneous fires that would burst out everywhere. But if it was just a little bit lower, all of us would suffocate. Did you know that the earth's axis, the way it's tilted just at the right angle, that if it were adjusted in any other particular way, the temperatures on earth would fluctuate to such an extent that we could not live here on this earth? Did you know that there are a number of different types of galaxies and ours just happens to be the one, uh, the, the type that is needed to sustain life? And our planet and our solar system is just perfectly situated within this galaxy, this special type of galaxy, to where we could sustain life. Did you know that the gravitational interaction between the moon and the earth is just at the right proportion to where the, uh, the moon doesn't smash into the earth or it doesn't go flying off into the distance, that everything is just finely calibrated for us because God loves us and God has provided for us. Listen, here's what I want us to, to see in these first few verses as we, we take a step back and we get a perspective of who God is and how his mercy and his love endures forever. I want you to understand, just as God has created this universe perfectly to sustain the life of his creation that he loves so dearly, you also are perfectly designed just the way God wants you. I know that we live in a world where there is constant uh, advertisements and voices out in the world around us that are telling us we need to change this and we need to look this way and act this way and all the various ways of where we need to be different from the way we are. We live in a culture where where, uh, we are constantly told uh, 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 boys can be girls and girls can be boys and we can change everything about us. But God tells us in his word that he loves us exactly the way we are. That you are perfect just the way you are. And God has created you in that way for his glory and for his purpose that he has for you. God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't create any frivolous things. You were created not only the perfect design that God wanted you to be, but he's also given you a calling, a purpose to glorify him in. There are things that you can do that I'll never be able to do. And there are things that I can do that you will never be able to do. And that's what's great about God, is that he loves variety. And he has created us in such a way that we all together, as we look to him and we focus on him and our perspective is on him, we give him the most glory and praise. Because his mercy endures forever. Not only that, but I want you to to note As we uh, look in verse 10, notice what it says here. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. Now pause there for a moment. When I was going through this passage, that did not strike me as the, the most merciful thing of God. Here Israel is worshiping God and they say, 
Not only did God create all that he created, not only did he uh, put this whole universe into existence, as we think about the mercies of God, you know what else God did in his mercy? He struck Egypt's firstborn. Doesn't sound like the most merciful act, does it? But I want you to pay attention to what they continue to say and how it points to the never-ending love of God. It says, And brought out Egypt from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea for his mercy endures forever. Here, Israel, as they go through the history, they start with creation. They say, God in his mercy, even though he didn't have to, he created all that we see around us because of his mercy. And then they focus even more specifically on the the history of the nation of Israel. And they say, listen, we were slaves in, in Egypt. We were being brutalized by the world power at that time. We were nothing but, but, uh, um, uh, just work hands to do whatever they told us to do. We had no rest. We had no rights. We were slaves in Egypt. But God in his mercy, God in his grace, and God in his commitment to the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he remembered us. And he moved in on our behalf. The God of this universe came, and even though Egypt was the world power at that time, no one could challenge them. God was more powerful than Pharaoh, who claimed to be a god. And God brought the plagues of Egypt, and he redeemed the people of Israel. You know, one of the great things about the Exodus is it is a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. We were slaves in our sin. We had no hope of redemption, and then God came and redeemed us. There was nothing we could do until God stepped in. Israel was redeemed from slavery by trusting in the God of this universe. And although Egypt's firstborn were slain, Israel and their firstborn were spared. Why was it? Because a lamb was slain in their place. The lamb was was killed. Its blood was put over the doorposts of the house. And the angel of death passed by. In much the same way, there was a lamb slain for each and every one of us as well. The God, because of his mercy that endures forever, sent his one and only son for you and for me in the midst of our slavery, in the midst of our lostness. And just as he redeemed Israel, he's redeemed us if we trust in him. Have we forgotten what it was like when we first came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I remember when I first got saved at a young age of about seven, and my heart just overflowed with love for God when I finally began to understand God's great love for me. I hadn't done a whole lot of horrible things. I was just seven. But even at that young age, I understood that I was a sinner who was going to die apart from Christ. And it's because of his great love and mercy, which endures forever, that I was able to be saved. And God offers that same invitation to each and every one of you. If there is someone here today who does not know Jesus Christ, understand you may be a slave in your sin right now, but God has already provided the way of salvation to you. 
He's already provided the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And if we will just accept it, we can have the same redemption that Israel pictures here in the book of Exodus. They say that God brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, and it doesn't stop there. Notice what he says here in verse 16. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. Not only did God redeem them back in Egypt and brought them out of slavery, but then he was taking them to some place. So not only do we see that God is our creator and we need to give him thanks as that, not only is God the redeemer who purchases us from our sins, but God is also this great shepherd who leads his people out of slavery and through the wilderness. Think back to the uh, story of the Exodus. Think back about how God led his people through the wilderness. It was by a, a cloud by day to give them shade from the, uh, the blazing heat of the sun. And then it was a pillar of fire by night to give them warmth, light, and guidance as they were traveling to the promised land. It's a beautiful picture of a shepherd with his flock following after him. The, the shepherd leads the way and the flock follow by, uh, by him. And the, and the shepherd provides for his sheep wherever they go. Throughout their journey through the wilderness, God was providing them food in the, in the form of manna from heaven. He provided them water from the rock. He provided that their clothes and their shelter would not uh, 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 get tattered and, and, and wear out through their wilderness journeys. God was the good shepherd who provided for his sheep. And listen, in the same way, just as God has redeemed us as his people, God is also the good shepherd. And you may find yourself, and we all find ourselves at this uh, period in our spiritual journey where we are going through the wilderness. This world is a hostile environment. This world is not what God intended it to be. It is broken. It is marred. But listen, even though it is scary, even though it is uncertain, even though it doesn't seem as though uh, our provisions will always uh, come through in time, listen, God is our shepherd. God is watching over us. He's the good shepherd who we recognize his voice as we stay close to him and we, got, and we follow his guidance. He'll provide for our needs. And more than that, he'll protect us from any harm that will come our way. Notice what it says here in verses, uh, verse 17. He goes on and says, To him who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever, and slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Shion, the king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. And these two kings that are mentioned here, we, we see about them uh, in Israel's journey as they were going through. They're, they're not really the most well-known kings uh, in Scripture, uh, but we know that Israel was trying to pass through certain lands, and they said, hey, can we come through your land? We're not going to eat, uh, we're not going to let our cattle eat the grass of your fields. We're not going to drink from your wells. We don't want anything from you. We just want to pass through. And these kings said, no. No, you're not coming through here. We don't care what you say. We don't care what you're doing. You're not coming through here. And they arranged their armies against Israel to fight against them. But guess what? God was with Israel. And yes, they had to do the fighting, but God gave them the victory. And God protected and watched over his people. 
And in the same way, we live in a wilderness uh, environment and we uh, encounter oppositions on every side and there are people who are trying to tear down our faith. There are people who are trying to push back against the mission of God that we are trying to accomplish, that God has called us to. But I guarantee you, as long as we are faithful to his calling, he'll be with us and he'll see us through it. And it, may, it will not always be easy. There will be times where we will be tempted to lose faith, where we will be tempted to, to compromise and give in to the, 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 those around us who are not following God. But if we stay faithful to him, if we keep our eyes on the good shepherd who is leading us to the promised land, then God will provide for us and he'll protect us. He's already given us the victory in Christ Jesus. We are just going through on our way to the celebration. If we'll just keep our eyes fixed and focused on him. You know, I'm amazed sometimes when I think about how God undoubtedly protects us in ways we don't even realize sometimes. I remember there was a, a time where uh, I was uh, fairly young. I, I was I probably just got my driver's license and my family and I, we went on a family vacation and we took turns, my brother and I, we took turns driving uh, to and fro uh, the various uh, sites that we were going to. I remember one particular time, it was my turn to drive and we had had a busy, busy day uh, doing all the various uh, events and activities and things of that nature. And we were just so tired. But we were driving back to our hotel. It was my turn to drive. And as I was driving, the rest of the family fell asleep in the car. And I was trying to keep my eyes open. And I'm sure you've been there before where you're driving, the rhythm of the road and the, the darkness all around you, you, uh, you start to get kind of tired. And I remember I, I would start to nod off and I would wake up a little bit. I would nod off and I would jerk awake a little bit. And I was pinching the hairs on my leg and I was slapping myself, trying to keep myself awake. But at the end of the night, I don't know how we got to the hotel, but we got there. Because I remember waking up in the parking lot. That is a scary thing. And I don't know how it happened, but I believe that somehow, someway, God was watching over us. And how many other times throughout our life do we go through experiences where God is watching out for us, providing for us, keeping us safe from the dangers, not only physical dangers, but also spiritual dangers that come around there was a story of a missionary to the South Pacific uh, Islands. His name was John Patton. And as him and his wife were ministering to the native people of this particular small island, uh, they were trying to share the gospel, but many of the natives on that island were extremely hostile to the spreading of the gospel. And one night, John uh, uh, later testified that him and his wife were, were getting ready to go to bed for the night, and they heard people outside their hut. And they looked out the windows and they saw that there were many of the natives who were aggressive uh, towards them and to the mission that God had called them to, who were planning on burning down their hut and the church that they had built there. And so him and his wife, it was just them and they didn't know what to do. And so they decided, you know what, we're going to pray. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, not knowing if they were going to uh, be drug out and killed, not knowing if they were going to have their, their uh, house burnt down around them with them in it. But eventually, as they continued to pray, and they heard the noise of, of the men outside their hut eventually disappear and go off into the, the wilderness. Later on, years later, the chief of that tribe came to accept Christ and many of the people in the tribe with them. And he told John Patton as, uh, as he came to Christ, he said, I remember that night when we came to kill you and your wife and to stomp out the gospel. And he said, the only thing that stopped us from burning down your hut were all the people 
the men that were gathered around your building at that time. And John knew that there was no one there except him and his wife. And we don't know what those native people saw. All we can attribute it to is God was watching out for his children. All I know is that God is a good, good father. He is a good shepherd who loves his children. Does that mean that every time there's danger, God is going to supernaturally protect you? I can't promise you that. But I do know that even if you go through those difficult times, even if you go through the most heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, challenging uh, trials of your life, that God will walk with you through them. And he'll see you through those dark times. Because he's a good shepherd. And he doesn't abandon any of his sheep. We see in this passage that God saw his children through the wilderness. And we see in verse 21, he says, And gave them land as their heritage, for his mercy endures forever. As a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his mercy endures forever. He saw his, his sheep and his flock to the promised land and gave them a land for their inheritance for generation upon generation. Then this next part of this psalm is probably one of my favorite parts of the entire uh, uh, Psalm 136. I want you to notice what he says here. He says, who remembered us in our lowly state for his mercy endures forever and rescued us from our enemies for his mercy endures forever. One of the reasons why I love this particular part of the psalm is because many scholars look at this and they say, Israel, uh, during, the, um, during this particular part of the verse, what they're probably focusing on is the exile. They started with creation. They went to uh, being, uh, them being led out of Egypt to the wilderness journey all the way to inherit the promised land. But as we know the story of Israel, they got into rebellion. They took their eyes off of God, their perspective changed, and they shifted their perspective onto false gods and the nations around them, and they began to run away from God and the covenant that he had established with them. And because of that, God took them out of the promised land and sent them to exile. Can you imagine the hardships that they endured during that time? Can you imagine that there was a foreign nation that gathers against your homeland, that they overpower your forces, that they destroy your monuments and your buildings, they take captive the best and the brightest of your people, and they leave you with nothing but the smoldering ruins of your home. And you're taken off to exile, not knowing if you'll ever see your loved ones again, not knowing if you'll ever see your home again, and there you are assimilated into these ungodly pagan, uh, pagan nations. And many of the people of Israel thought, God has forgotten us. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, God has wiped his hands clean of us, and he has given us over to the nations. Is there any hope for us? And many of them didn't think so. But as we see in this passage, I love how it says in verse uh, 23, who remembered us in our lowly state. When we had fallen to rock bottom, when because of our own sinful choices, we had gotten away from God and we dug a hole that we couldn't get ourselves out of, God remembered us even though we didn't deserve it. God, even though we gave up on God, God never gave up on us. Even though we had abandoned the covenant of God and the promises of God, God still remembered his covenant. And he was faithful 
even though we weren't. I love this, uh, this section of Psalm 136 because it gives hope to each and every one of us because I'm not perfect. I have a, 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 would venture a guess that you're probably not either. And we mess up and we fail and sometimes we get into seasons of disobedience and rebellion. And when we finally have our eyes open and like the prodigal son, we see what a mess we've made of our life. We wonder, can I go home? Can I go back to God? Would he really accept back someone like me who continues to turn his back on his heavenly father over and over and over again? And the answer is a resounding yes. There is no amount of sin, there's no size sin that you can ever do that will ever cause God to give up on his children. As long as we are willing to humble ourselves and turn back to him, God, God in his mercy endures forever. Remember that Hebrew word means his faithful love and generosity. That it goes on and on and on no matter what. One of the greatest pictures in all of scripture of God's enduring love and his mercy is in the book of Hosea where Hosea, a prophet of God, marries Gomer who is a prostitute at that time. And even though she keeps wandering away from home after other men, Hosea goes and he redeems her and brings her back and they reconcile. And God says, that's the way I am with my people. That no matter how much you run from me, I'll chase after you. No matter how much you try to push me away, I love you with a love that can't stop. And I will chase you to the ends of the earth. Do, is there any wonder why Israel, when they would sing this song, they would shout out his mercy endures forever. Everything that God does, it's because of his great and abounding mercy that endures forever. Notice what he goes on to say. Not only does he talk about Israel and their lowly estate, but then the psalm concludes with this in Psalm 20, uh, verse 25 and 26. Who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. I love how it ends there uh, towards the end, because throughout the entire psalm, it was focused on the nation of Israel. It was focused on God creating all the universe, but then he focuses his attention on the nation of Israel, redeeming them from Egypt, leading them through the wilderness, leading them to the promised land, and then redeeming them from exile when they've fallen away. And then the psalmist and all of Israel focus their attention, not on their national identity, but then they say, but this God that we've been worshiping, whose love and mercy endures forever, it's not just about Israel. He gives food to all flesh. He provides for all people. God isn't just focused on a small little contingent of people, but he's focused on all of his creation. He wants to provide and shower all of us with mercy and goodness and love. What a great reminder for his church that God did not just redeem us to come to, these church, uh, uh, to our church building here and to worship him and wait until Jesus comes back, but he wants us to partner with him to go out into the rest of creation, to go out into Mount Airy and Pinnacle and Pilate and all the surrounding communities and tell everyone about God's mercy, how it endures forever, to testify about who God is and what he has done. That's what this whole psalm is about. Israel remembering and reflecting about all the good things that God has done in the, in the life of their nation up to this point. And then they focus out. 
And in the same way, let us remember all the good things God has done for us. Not just Israel, not throughout the history of the church, but in the history of our church, in the history of your life, in your marriage, with your kids. Think of all the good things God has brought your way, how he's provided, how he's protected, how he's redeemed you, how he is moving you forward, shepherding you, protecting you, and taking you to his promised land where he will usher us home and enjoy his presence forever. We should shout with the nation of Israel, his mercy endures forever. There's something about the Psalms that really uh, gets to the heart of, of our human experience. The Psalms really get to uh, helping us focus on who God is and what he's done. We see this in Psalm 136. Pastor Darrell preached a wonderful message uh, through Psalm 105. Uh, the, the same thing about God's great mercy and love. Another great uh, verse of scripture that many of y'all are familiar with from the book of Psalms is Psalm 23. And I was reading a story uh, about a uh, group of uh, a family who was living in Romania. And this was back during the time when it was communist ruled and there was persecution against Christians. And this one particular family, they gathered around the, the table and they were quietly worshiping God together as they, uh, as they had uh, their, their, their dinner. And they came together and they opened the copy of God's word that uh, thankfully they still had. And they opened to Psalm 23. And they began reading through that psalm and uh, thinking about all the goodness of God and how he shepherds us, provides for us, protects us, and just worshiping God and who he is and how he blesses his people. Well, just as they were uh, getting ready to enjoy the meal after reading uh, their copy of God's word, they heard a, a knock on the door. And as the father went to the door and began to open it, uh, there was a, a push on the other side and a, a contingent of police officers came in. And they were looking for uh, pastors and church leaders to round up so that they could hopefully stamp out uh, much of the Christian movement there in Romania at this time. And so as they came into the house and they saw the pastor there and they saw the, the, his family gather around the table, they told him what was about to happen, that they had had rumors, they had informants that told uh, the, the Communist Party about the, the pastor and his family and the mission and ministry that they had been doing. And they said that they were going to arrest him and take him away, that he would never see his family again. And kind of surprised that they looked at the pastor as they relayed this information, they saw not fear, not worry, that they so often saw, but they saw peace. They saw calm. And they were kind of astounded. How in the world could someone who, who is about to be arrested, who's about to have their whole life and everything they care about taken away from them, how can they be at peace? How can they be calm at a, at a time like this? And so they asked him, what are you doing? Why are you not fearful of what we've just told you? And the pastor looked at him and just smiled and said, listen, we have been worshiping God here and we have been waiting for you. We've been reading Psalm 23, and we've read in there that God has prepared a table uh, before us in the presence of our enemies. And we had our table, we had our food, but we didn't have our enemies, and here you are. And so anything that we have, enjoy. And they didn't understand what in the world, he must have lost his mind. How in the world is he uh, telling us that we can come in, that they've been looking forward to us, and that they want to share their food with us? 
And so they said, do you not understand what's about to happen to you? Your kids are about to see you drug out of the house. You, they will never see you again. You will most likely die in a cold, dark prison. To that, the pastor looked at him and he said, that we're not afraid of death. As I said, we were reading Psalm 23 and we know that God has told us that, we, that though we may pass through the shadow of death, we shouldn't fear any evil. He said, the shadow of a dog can't bite you, and so the shadow of death can't hurt me. They took him away, and we don't know what ever happened to that pastor. But what amazes me about that story is that even in the face of persecution and hardship and difficulty to that extent, we as believers can still have the perspective to glorify God to trust in him even in the hardest situations and moments and follow him with joy and peace in our hearts. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the future holds. But as the old saying goes, I know who holds the future. God is faithful and his mercy endures forever. So let's worship God. Let's fix our focus and our perspective on him. And there's nothing this world can throw at us that will ever pull us away from him, are the goodness, grace, mercy, and love that he has in store for us. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. You're going to have an opportunity not to do anything other than just thank God and praise him for who he is. So as we go into our time of invitation, I encourage each and every one of you, don't worry about anyone else here in this room. Don't worry about anything else going on in your life and the world around you. Focus on your heavenly father who loves you who pours his mercy out on you each and every day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Wonderful Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for a psalm like this that recounts all your goodness, your mercy, and your love. Father, forgive us for getting our eyes off of you, for focusing on lesser things, for getting distracted. Lord, I pray here and now, Lord, that we would remember where our security lies. Lord, where our blessings and every good gift lie, Lord, they are in you and you alone. So, Father, we give you this time of invitation, Lord. We pray that you would just show up in a mighty way. Lord, drown out all distractions, and Lord, let us just come into your presence and give you thanks because you're worth it. And we ask this all in Christ's wonderful and holy and precious name. Amen.